0: are real geniuses richard jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you he hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science cancer stem cells ketogenic diets and more here come the geniuses this is the finding genius podcast
1: with richard jacobs hello this is richard jacobs with the finding genius podcast i have a really really great and important guest today his name is ken mccarthy Uh, He's a man of uh, at least two big abilities that I know of. So I've I've been following him for many years in the marketing world. Uh, He's one of the original pioneers of the movements to commercialize the internet itself. Uh, He sponsored the first conference on the subject of Web's commercial potential in 1994 with uh, Netscape founder Mark Andreessen, who was a featured speaker. Um, Ken has run, or he had run, what's called the System Seminar, which was a a huge grouping of all kinds of uh, people using the internet for advertising and marketing. And he's been a voice in the marketing world for, again, for for a very, very long time. I've followed his work and it's it's always great. I'm currently a member of his uh, system club and I get a lot of great information from him. Um, the purpose of today's interview though is not about the marketing side of him necessarily, but uh, he's been a big voice and an advocate in uh, bringing clarity to what's going on with this, this COVID craziness. Um, Contrary to what the main media says and what a lot of people are echoing, um, he's providing a very different perspective on it with historical documentation. And at times he's been uh, perhaps the only voice of reason. And um, so I want to have him on the podcast to talk about COVID and uh, what his perception is and why it may be different from the the, the stuff you're seeing out there in the main media. So Ken, thanks for coming.
2: Oh, thanks for asking me, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. um, What was it like for you when, uh, you know, the COVID first came on your radar? And what were your thoughts when it it first appeared?
2: Well, my first reaction uh, watching the Chinese stuff was, wow, this looks crazy. (laughs) Um, And I immediately noted that Wuhan is the most air polluted city on the planet by, by a significant factor. In fact, the pollution that comes out of Wuhan is so bad that people in other countries uh, experience it. I mean, it is, it is perhaps the most uh, unhealthy air environment ever produced uh, by human artifact. Uh, people were wearing masks just going back and forth to work long before the, uh, we'll call it the scamdemic. <laughs> There was also a lot of political problems going on in Wuhan. Now, most people, I think, are aware of the very serious political problems in Hong Kong, which the Chinese government can barely uh, control. There were similar problems going on in Wuhan. Um, people that lived in Wuhan uh, said that basically the air smelled like burning garbage all the time. Uh, par- yeah, yeah, not nice, right? And part of the reason for that was they, they had these— very poorly operated uh, garbage incinerators, and there was—I believe that now I'm—I'm I'm, I'm stretching my memory, but I believe there was a huge controversy about the building of yet another one. And I think the people there said absolutely not. There was quite a bit of protest, and so I—all I, that went into my calculator. Knowing that you know, I have—I have infinite respect for Chinese culture. I have no respect for the Chinese government. Let's just make make clear on that, right? But the culture, the people. The culture of the people, I mean, these are some of the most amazing people that ever lived. Uh, the government, you know, they're like all governments, uh, except this one's bad on steroids. So when I see that this was already a severely air-polluted place, uh, I see that there was severe civil unrest there. Um, I see that they've made mistakes before. SARS-1, by the way, this is what's going on right now, is, 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 a, is, a, is called SARS-2. There was severe miscalculation in the handling of the SARS-1 Epidemic. So now I see. Okay, they've got another epidemic. The timing's kind of interesting. So that was my original thought. Can I just just say something to folks? You know, people think, well, what does this sure. marketing guy know about any, anything? I don't really talk about this with my audience because it's it's not highly relevant. But I I did go to Princeton. I did study neuroscience. <laughs> my my lead professor was Bart Hobel. He was the man who charted the uh, and mapped the uh, dopamine pathway in the brain. Um, I am not a science lightweight. I am not a professional scientist. I decided not to go that way. I decided to do other stuff. I will say this, which was very interesting and very uh, formative for me. Bart, this was, this was uh, late 70s, uh, early 80s. Uh, and this was before pharma colonized neuroscience, though they were already in the process of attempting to colonize it. And Hobel was an uh, ethical of, of scientists uh there which is an important distinction because believe me there are many scientists who are little different than street prostitutes and 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 that's unfair to street prostitutes but there there is a large world of scientists if you write the right check you will get the right study period uh Hobo wasn't one of those guys he was a genuine scientist from the old school and here here's the key point he talked to us about the fact that uh Altering the neurochemistry of people's brains was a very dangerous undertaking, not to be uh, undertaken lightly. Okay. Uh, Fast forward only about 10 years, 10-15 years, and we have school teachers essentially prescribing pretty powerful psychoactive drugs, Adderall, Ritalin. Those are not trivial drugs to school children, and putting pressure on parents uh, to put their kids on a lifetime dose. Of uh, yep. drugs which actually alter not just the brain chemistry but the actual neur- neuronal structure at that level, right? So I not only had a a, a better than average uh, grounding in science and biochemistry and anatomy and physiology and, and how to think, uh, I also had the benefit of a of a serious senior a scientist warning us that pharma was attempting to pervert the science. So that that was in my oh, brain wow. from age. Oh, yeah, right. You know, so that was in my brain from age 19 on, right? So that that was a big help to me. So I'm so so um, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I've seen a, I have a library full, and I don't mean you know a book or two. I'm talking about shelves of books, and many, many, many books have been written on fraud in science, particularly medical science, because it's such a lucrative practice. Uh, There's a lot of it. Most of these books uh, come and go. They don't get any promotion. You're certainly not going to see them on TV. And while I'm on my mad riff, let me just say this. There has been a total co-opting of the news media by the pharmaceutical industry. You can go on YouTube and you can see hard-hitting investigative TV reports about fraud and misconduct in pharma from the 60s, from the 70s, from the 80s, from the 90s, and then they disappear. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just j- j- you know, you can see amazing stuff about previous flu, for, you know, uh, virus frauds. But what happened? What happened is very simple. They made the advertising of, and this is where my marketing expertise comes in. They made the advertising of pharmaceutical products legal on United States television and in print media too. It was not legal previous to that. Uh, there's only one other country in the world that is so misguided as to allow that, and that is New Zealand. And if people look into New Zealand, New Zealand has completely lost its mind over the scandemic. Five cases, right? And they locked down again. You know, It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Australia has gone back to becoming a penal colony again. Lately.
2: Well, you know what? You know, it's very interesting because, of course, it was founded as a penal colony. And, you know, it is a Commonwealth issue. We've got the UK, New Zealand, uh, Australia and Canada uh, all losing their minds uh, over this. And, and uh, but this is a really interesting piece of video, which people can find without, I think, too much trouble. And it goes back to the uh, the starting of the Iraq war, the second one. And somebody found video of the prime minister of Australia, explaining how australia was in and then they also found the video of the the prime minister of uh, canada explaining we're in um they were both reading literally from the same piece of paper so there is there is a coordination between the commonwealth countries that's not um apparent you know not always obvious or but but when let's put it this way when it's serious they all go into lockstep uh, how that works, I don't know, but you can see the the, the undeniable evidence of it, and um, we see it in the in the uh, this COVID caper.
1: Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I mean, this this will be a little bit further along in the conversation, but I've spoken to a lot of people about what they think is happening in the U.S., and I get you know a whole set of answers. But then when I look at the entire world, then I think, well, I, I, it doesn't make sense. Is the is the whole world just copycats and they're just waiting and and patiently? waiting to be told what to do. It doesn't make sense that this is the whole world. The whole world's a jail. It's weird. Everyone's just, I don't know who they I don't know who the, who's in charge here of the thought, the thought pattern. And it's just very strange when I look at the whole world, why is the whole world doing this?
2: Well, they're all doing it a little differently. You know, they're all doing their own their little variations on it. Before I answer you, let me tell you about another area of my expertise. Uh, sure. I, I'm, I'm a, Better than average student of propaganda, the history of propaganda. Uh, people may know who Edward Bernays is. If you don't look him up, he's the father of, of sinister propaganda. Um, and when he died, I bought a not a not a, not all of his library, but a decent piece of his library. Uh, I'm, I, so I'm like a better, I'm a more interested than average person in the history of propaganda and corporate and government lying. So we've got to look at the infrastructure. Of things so I always say that you know for there to be a scam there needs to be a scammer (laughs) and for a scammer to run a scam there needs to be a playbook and for a playbook to be executed there needs to be an infrastructure Um, it it is clear that uh, in the US at least the front man is is a guy named Tony Fauci Anthony Fauci in other countries you have different people leading leading the show but there there's clear um, corruption, it's, and it, you know, the problem is the, the, the brilliance prop PR and propaganda behind this. I mean, it is brilliant. It is, it is absolutely world-class because what they've done, what you do with propaganda is you want to limit the argument. And if you limit it in, in an intelligent way, uh, from the get-go, you, you can just completely derail people. Uh, let me give you an example. How many times, uh, has somebody said, Hey, this is going to hurt the economy. Uh, and the other side says, all you care about is business. You're not you're You're just a Trumpian. Trumpian, You know, I mean, that that was that that was a brilliant propagandic uh, construction. Now, unfortunately, there was nobody there to say this and make this uh, uh, an equal meme. We're not just talking about damaging the economy. We're talking about damaging the underpinnings of society. Mm. We're talking about damaging People's employment, people's uh, incomes, uh, children's uh, uh, desire to play and, and be educated, uh, old people's desire to see their relatives, their younger relatives. So if we had re- if we had the, had the ability at the time to instantly uh, d- detect that meme, uh, we could have attacked it <laughs> with a no, this is not just the economy. This is society. Uh, so anyway there are, there are people that engineer these things it's their career it's their livelihood it's their training it's what they do it's how we got sold into the Iraq war um I mean if you think and, and I'm going to just riff like crazy so give me sure. you know give me some some you know thank you for your patience um okay. uh you know when we look at a war you know we're often told and I'm going to get back to the medical issue in a bit. We're often told that man is a warlike creature, and you know wars are inevitable, and, and and definitely disagreements between human beings inevitable. Even sometimes interpersonal violence. It's 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 part of the human experience. War, uh uh-uh. uh War has to be organized on a industrial scale. I mean, you got how do you move? Let's just think about the legit. You know, and as a business person, we can you know anyone that's run a business. Let me give you the assignment. Move a million people, Richard, (laughs) to Saudi Arabia in three months. They need uniforms, they need food, they need housing, they need toilets, they need doctors, they need weapons that work, they need (laughs) ammunition. That is a massive undertaking, it's not casual. So I wanna say this to people, the propaganda that is designed to make war palatable is also done on an industrial scale. There are not three guys working on it, there are hundreds if not thousands of people working on it. Now let's, let's okay. change uh, gears and look at the, to answer your question, how did this become global? Okay, so we have a guy named Tony Fauci, he is by no means the mastermind. He's a front man, but he's a, he's a, he's a key cog in the wheel. He has been the head of, of the uh, Allergy and Infectious Disease Division of the National Institute of Health for 36 years. Um, 30, that's a long time to have one job in the federal government. Interestingly enough, and amazing in our status crazed society and money crazed society, none of the uh, major news outlets have pointed out of the 2 million plus people that get a paycheck from the federal government, he's the third highest paid civil servant. Oh, wow. um, yeah, right. Interesting, huh? Um, oh. generally, pe- generally, people only hold positions like that for a long time for, for two reasons. One, the powers that be like him and know they can trust him. And two, he wants a power base.
1: You don't think he yeah. lived off a twelve hundred dollar check from the government when all this
2: happened? <laughs> uh, you no, know, I mean, and the other thing about him is, in addition to his salary, which which isn't super high, it's like three hundred thousand and change, you know, but it's the highest, you know, that's what they pay in the federal government. He also gets honorariums, uh, awards, speaking uh, payments. Uh, for instance, the University of Albany, uh, Albany Medical Center, uh, gave him half a million dollars. For being a genius uh, several years ago. Interestingly enough, the uh, SUNY, uh, State, of U- State University of New York, has received tens of millions of dollars in grants from Tony Fauci. So oh. he's been going he's, he's, he, Now, this is the other key thing to understand about him. He is the spigot, the, with a capital T, capital H, capital E, for research money on infectious disease in the United States of America. Okay?
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
2: You know, scientific research is not a freewheeling thing. You have, depending on the field you're in, you have a handful, if you're lucky, number of potential funding sources. Uh, NIH is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Not only that, if if you piss Fauci off He's just going to pick up the phone and kill you all over the world. You're not going to get money from anybody.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Really? So, yeah, this, is a very, this is a very important thing to understand. So any science that you see that's being done in the world of infectious disease, that includes AIDS, by the way, um, that includes Ebola and, and all the other things um, that have been hyped to the moon, uh, you are either singing the Tony Fauci song or you are not in business. So, so he basically. He, so this is important. He basically controls all the people in this country because nobody does scientific research out of their own pocket. Uh, very few people have the wherewithal or the um, uh, energy and initiative, and I'm going to say integrity, to go out and get independent money. Most of them go the easy way, which is just to you know go hat in hand to NIH and other groups like that, and just well, get, well, the, get the if easy you, money.
1: Uh, even if you had the money. The ethics, you know, what they call ethics of it could stop you. You know, an IRB could say, nope, it's not ethical what you're doing. And then even if you had the money, you couldn't do the research anyway.
2: Well, with, with, speaking of ethics, and we, there's so much to, to go here. Fauci is married to a woman named Christine Grady. And she is presented as the, the doting housewife who makes sure that Tony gets his rest and, and eats three meals a day. <laughs> Christine Grady is also the head of ethics for the NIH and the, the, the chief arbiter of human experimentation standards. Okay, tell me how on earth with NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, all these investigative reporters right and left, did they miss that little detail? So (laughs) when we hear about, you know, we're going to speed up the uh, the vaccine, uh, we're going to drop stages, we're going to do stages simultaneously. uh, We're not going to we're going to skip animal testing and all this stuff that's coming out of Christine Grady's office, and Christine Grady is Tony Fauci's wife. She did the same thing with AIDS. In fact, she she wrote a book about it. She wrote a book called, I think, In Search of the AIDS Vaccine. And in these people's minds, the only, or not the only, but the most important health tool in the universe, in the known universe, it's not nutrition, it's not exercise, uh, it's not um, a good environment. It, it's none of those things. It's vaccination. Uh-oh. Okay. They are, they, it's, it's a religion to them. And the whole book that she wrote was basically an attempt to erode uh, the Nuremberg Code. Okay. This is important. Nuremberg Code, what's that all about? During World War II, the Germans operated slave labor camps all over the place, millions of people. You'd be grabbed off the street and next thing you know you're working for nothing uh, in a slave labor camp making cement making munitions sewing i mean whatever right yeah. um all of these all of these labor camps had hospitals why because there were outbreaks sometimes often of typhus that was one of the big problems they had as as everybody knows and what the what the exact details are i think is up uh, is is the, the numbers and the, the means and all this you know, the people with various opinions, but nobody disagrees that hundreds of thousands, millions of people of all backgrounds, Jewish, Catholic, uh, gypsy, uh, homosexual, uh, people that were against the regime were sent to these camps to work as slaves. Uh, and, ma- and many, many, many of them died, some in the course of being overworked, some were murdered. One of the murder methods was to send people to the hospital, to, to the camp hospital, where they would be checked out if they were healthy enough, you know, we'll put them in bed for a couple of days and send them back to work. They did it because the Nazis were really about theft. They were, you know, they, they did have crazy ideas and they, you know, and, and they were anti-Semitic and they, you know, all that, that was all true, but they were primarily about theft and, 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 you know, they wanted bodies working for free to do what they needed done. So anyway, they had medical care at these, at these slave labor camps. If you were healthy enough, they would you know, maybe give you some penicillin and send you back to work. If you weren't healthy, they'd just kill you with an injection. So we hear about the, uh, the ovens. We hear about the gas chambers. We hear about all this stuff. Um, what we don't hear about were medical doctors administering fatal shots of toxic uh, poisons to kill people. The The book is um, The Nazi Doctors, written by, I believe, Jay uh, Lipton. Very serious book, very well documented. And, it, and and you might say, Ken, what's all this about? Okay, I'm going to bring you to the point in a second. Um, sure. Okay. As, as people probably know, it is a grand tradition uh, among Jewish people to go into medicine. You know, my son, the doctor, right? And And, and so, that profession had many, 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 you know, going back to medieval times, um, many Jewish people in it. When the Nazis took over Germany, one of the first things they did was harass the Jewish physicians. If they were heads of hospitals, if they were heads of academic departments, if they you know, they would harass them out of their positions and replace them with card carrying Nazi physicians mm. with under the under the Nazi regime. The profession that had the highest percentage of card-carrying Nazis—I'm not talking about just German people that went along to go along. I'm talking about people that were into it—was the medical profession. Okay, So what you had was a wholesale cleaning out of capable, competent, dedicated physicians replaced by basically political hacks who did what they were told in the service of the Fuhrer. Okay. We have something we have something very similar to that in the United States right now, except the Fuhrer is the pharmaceutical companies and they call the tunes. They call the tunes at the level of the medical schools. They call the tunes at the the level of the medical journals. They call the the tune at the level of um, the medical associations. They certainly call the tune at NIH and the CDC and and the World Health Organization. They have their financial tentacles into everything, and it is progressively becoming harder and harder for real doctors to practice real medicine. Uh, and doctors have, are, are relentlessly being converted into basically pill dispensing machines in the service of in the pharmaceutical industry. And people that don't play along leave the profession or don't enter the profession. I have a young nephew, very bright. He was at the top of his class. He, he, he just couldn't take all the crap that he was seeing uh, in the actual practice of medicine and just dropped out of the field. So we're, gonna, we're getting the hacks that stick around and the people of integrity and intelligence that decide to do something else with themselves. It's a real problem. So we've got, we've got parallels going on. Um, the other, so so let, me, let me say this, too, about Fauci. It's not just that he controls the research, OK? If you're a university, you're dependent on research funds. So he not only him and his network not only control what, what um, researchers do, they also control the kind of science that universities will uh, talk about and, and accept and promote. Um, I, like I mentioned, I went to Princeton. I get the Princeton Alumni Weekly. I cannot see a single word. I have not seen a single word of, of even a whiff of dissent with this bullshit anywhere within the Princeton Alumni Weekly. They're saluting the flag and they're marching in lockstep. Now, I know for a fact there have to be professors there who are quietly saying this is bullshit because there, there are at Yale, there are at Stanford, uh, there, there are in the European universities, there are in the Asian universities. But, you know, why are they, why are they keeping, why are they staying in lockstep? They don't want to rock the boat. They want that research money. I, I've that seen some,
1: money. Yep. some doctors, you know, from various arenas speaking out, but they're getting censored. I'm I'm seeing their videos on YouTube and stuff on Twitter, and then it disappears. And then I check with them on their yep. websites, and they say they've been censored.
2: Yep. You know, we have to understand too. More, more progressively, more and more doctors are um, working for uh, you know medical groups as opposed to the sole practitioner. What we're seeing are sole practitioners, or in the case of those two great guys in the Central Valley in California, they were entrepreneurs and had, they were the boss, right? And they, and they had their own um, clinics all over, all over Central Valley, California. Um, so so they, they were able to speak out because they were the boss, right? But most doctors, you know, it's, it's supposedly this elevated profession, most of them are hired hands at best. So most of them right out of the get-go are not free to say a word. Um, and we saw this with the whole vaccination thing. And, and I'm, I'm surprised that, that very few, uh, maybe nobody, I haven't seen anybody talk about this a year ago. A year ago, we had the measles Pandemic, you know, a scandemic, where a few measles cases, interestingly enough, we're in California and Washington State. Oh, hmm, that's interesting. And we'll talk about the corruption of public health officials in a second. We had a few measles cases blown up into this, you know, epic. Disaster, And now every kid's got to get not only has to get the measles vaccine, but if he doesn't get the measles vaccine, he can't go to school. We had a knucklehead county executive in my part of the world in in Rockland County, um, who actually tried to float the idea that children would be permanently quarantined and not allowed to leave their homes. Unless they got a vaccine, not going to school, not going to the library, not going to playground, not going anywhere, not leaving. Now, luckily, a lawyer came in and shot that down. And the, the the savagery of because I follow this extremely closely, um, the the savagery of the propaganda attacks on physicians, on <laughs> families um, who didn't go along. Uh, there was a, a chilling phone uh, uh, study somebody did in California. Now, there the California law said. If there is a medical, uh, we'll call it a problem, a vulnerability, a child's uh, can, a family can decline vaccination, right? So somebody tested right. that. They got on the phone with a recorder running, and they called 150 pediatric groups in California. Wow. Everything, every single one refused care for that child, and it's really? recorded. Yeah. Jeez. Well, you know, it's, it's a, it's, you know if, when things are top-down… And everybody's working for somebody else, and everybody's getting their money from one source and one source only. You know, it's not like us. You know, we're entrepreneurs. You know, I've got all these different clients. If one client doesn't like me, well, too bad. I got two, ten thousand other clients. You know, and, okay. and I can always get I can always get new ones. If I'm a doctor, I, I, I've got my I've got this license, and that's another problem that doctors have. Uh, any jerk, (laughs) any bozo can attack any doctor's license at any time. You don't even need a whole lot of, uh, uh, back backing to do it. And the doctor has to deal with it. Uh, so, uh, doctors, doctors are extremely, extremely weak. They're weak. You know, they're, they're in a very weak position. So we've got researchers under the thumb we've got universities under the thumb we've got physicians under the thumb we have journals under the thumb because they're all supported by pharmaceutical companies see back when 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 there was the swine flu fraud uh, which was only 10 years ago and it was Called a fraud by the mainstream news media that's the most bizarro thing about this it's like they have total amnesia there was a swine flu and the whole world was going to get it and they had you know they had to set up uh, you know gym you know they, they, they turned gymnasiums into mass inoculation centers and everybody oh, wow. was screeching oh yeah there's video of all this and in the United States and people were running to get inoculated and they were out of their minds with panic and then it became obvious that this thing was bullshit and actually, some European country, countries actually sued uh, pharmaceutical companies because they were they were stampeded into stockpiling huge amounts of this vaccine, which turned out not only to be semi-dangerous but also completely useless. But this is just a marketing ploy. I mean, it's a sinister marketing ploy. But get I mean, what's the best way to get people to do something? Scare the daylights out of them that if they don't do it, something horrible is going to happen. So they've been playing with this. Tinkering with it, you know, trying a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and bit by bit, they have perfected their game. And uh, their game now includes public health officials. Uh, for instance, I'm in New York State. We have an absolute lunatic governor,
1: an yeah, no. absolute
2: lunatic. I mean, beyond belief. I mean, just beyond belief, right? So I, I said, well, who's advising this guy, right? So I looked into who's the pub- who's the chief public health official in in New York State. Well. He has no experience in infectious disease. He has no experience in epidemiology. He has no experience in public health. He's a, pedi- he's a pediatric cardiologist uh, with a specialist specialty in anesthesiology. He is a member of the Council on, on Foreign Relations. Um, he has been uh, eating at the, the AIDS, HIV equals AIDS, uh, uh, pig trowel, uh for many years, and, and every wow. other uh, – thing, every other scam these guys have been running. So he's basic, he is not basically, he is a political operative. So, you, so we, have, you know, we have one state that's got a political operative as public health director. Uh, how many else do you think? Now an interesting thing in New York, and I can't, you know, I can't believe the amazing investigative journalists of the world haven't figured this out, Fauci was a good friend of Mario Cuomo, the father of mm. Andrew Cuomo. He's known the Cuomo since they were kids. And I have video of that, of, um, of the other one, Chris Cuomo, the idiot that works for CNN, yeah. just admitting that, you know? Well, so well, well, we have his... Yeah, go man, ahead. I'm sorry. I am I, 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 I agree <laughs> they Go ahead. No, it's okay. I,
1: I, understand. I understand that doctors are, you know, they hang the license over their head, like sword of Damocles, their way to make money. I understand how they could easily be co-opted. Why the media? Why does... How is the media co-opted, and why are, are they all saying literally? It's like they're reading from a script. They all say the same thing.
2: It's, well, it's very easy. Number one, they're always reading from a script. Um, you, you can find you can find video you know humorous video well, sort of humorous videos on the internet where you'll have um, 30, 40. Uh, newscasters in a row saying the same exact thing about the same exact story across mm. networks: ABC, Fox. So the, the thing they understand—it's you know—it's it's, it's a room full of mirrors. You know, it's a it's a it's like a funhouse. Remember, the, I don't know if you've ever been to like an old school carnival and they had the mirror, you go walk yep. into the room in the mirror and, you know, you get all disoriented. Um, yep. We look at these, yep. these, these air, you know, these, these guys with, you know, nice haircuts and, and, and we think they're journalists, they're newsreaders and mm. their sole qualification on earth is they can say anything, even something well, especially, including often things they know absolutely nothing about with absolute certainty, and they can convey certainty. They're sort of a low-grade actor. They're like B-grade actors. There is no journalism. When you turn the TV on, nothing you see on that screen is journalism. It doesn't exist. All right? So that's, that's an important thing to, to, to keep in mind. Um, the other thing is, and, and this refers back to something I said earlier, and it's a simple thing, but sometimes we overlook the simple. We allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise on television and in the print media. Okay? If you watch the ABC News, Fox News, CNN, it doesn't matter. It's all, not all, it is heavily drug ads. It can be 40, 50, 60% drug ads. Now, I know a little bit about media buying. Most people, Most people buying media on television are beating up the publisher or the, or the network, give me a deal, give me a deal, give me a deal. Yeah. I'm gonna guess that Big Pharma doesn't do that. Big Pharma says, what do you want? And just pays. So let mm-hmm. me ask you a question. You've got a business, doesn't matter, it could be a hot dog stand, could be a massage parlor, you know, it could be whatever. If 50 to 60% of your business is regular, dependable and pays full price and never waivers, while the rest of your 50% comes and goes seasonally and you know disappears and comes back and you know and that advertiser says i want you to do it this way or i didn't like that you did it this way how impervious to influence do you think a corporation would be now an individual might say hey look i've got my standards i don't care i'll i'll eat tuna fish i'm not going to i'm not going to uh I'll live live on sardines you know i'm not going to run right. crap news to satisfy you. But you know what? Corporations do not think that way. So if 50% is a big chunk of, of revenue, and again, I think they're paying full, full boat for it. Because you know the, the illusion is they're trying to persuade the public to go to their doctor and say, hey, you know, I think I've got restless regs, leg syndrome. Can you, can you uh, prescribe you know, Leganol for me? You know? yeah. that, That's only part of I think the other part of it is it's a it's a legalized form of bribery um you know even things like cnn they have whole news hours that are underwritten by Merck or underwritten by you know one of the pharmaceutical companies um if you've ever seen um who's that horrible guy on cnn uh he's a he's a descendant of the vanderbilt family um he spent two years in literally in cia summer school oh anderson cooper oh really oh yeah this guy you gotta let this guy's this guy's ridiculous you, if you if you hunt around and uh, you'll find clips where he's doing, quote, interviews about pharmaceutical issues and God help anybody that's coming down on the wrong side of a of, of big pharma. He suddenly becomes the bulldog. It's really quite quite an interesting yeah. phenomenon. And it makes sense because he's what does he make? Fifteen million a year. He knows where his bread is buttered. You know, he doesn't care. He's one of these people that has, no, you know, has no integrity. Money uber for him, and uh, you know they want me to beat up on this this anti-pharma guy. I'll beat up on him. Hey, let, let's look at this. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You know, mm-hmm. whatever you think about the Kennedy family, they are a, a historically important family in, in American history. They just are, period. Right. Robert F. Kennedy, a historically important man. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. That alone, should he should get a little celebrity. But he, he is also a first-rate, has been for decades, environmental attorney. Like, first-rate, has won many cases, done many, many important things. He's become very interested in the in, in last several years uh, on the issue of um, vaccine safety. Um, he cannot get on the mass media. Now, how is it possible that a man with that level of family celebrity, that level of genuine um, authority, because to be an environmental lawyer, you really need to know a lot of science. How can that man be banned uh, from all the news channels? Now, he asked Robert, Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes was the creator of Fox News. Um, I am. So if you, love, if you love Fox News, you can thank Roger Ailes. If you hate Fox News, you can blame Roger Ailes. But whatever, yeah. however you feel, he created it. Believe it or not, in the real, weird world of the people that run the world, the Kennedys and Roger Ailes were friendly from the time Robert F. Kennedy was a kid. Go figure. They knew, so, Roger, so Robert F. Kennedy Jr. knew Roger Ailes on a deep personal level. And he asked Roger, Roger, why aren't I on Fox anymore? And Roger Ailes told him, Bobby, if I have you on, the phone's going to ring and it's going to be Rupert chewing out my ass. Um, Rupert, Rupert Murdoch has deep connections to Glaxo uh, Smith Klein. Um, His son, who is basically uh, a, 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 a felon who got away, he's the person that was was hacking into people's uh, private uh, cell phone conversations, mm-hmm. and then and then he went and paid witnesses off a million pounds at a time, uh, how, he, you know, he, of course, he didn't go to jail. I don't even think he got charged, but he, he was exposed, right? Um, somehow he was put on the board of Klein Smith. And, and, I, and, I, and, and, I, and I read, I, I literally read pharmaceutical industry journal stuff where one guy was going, I don't get it. This guy has no qualifications. You know, he was genuinely mystified. He's like, this guy has absolutely no qualifications for this job at all. What's going on? Well, interestingly enough, um, uh, the, the, um, you know, Murdoch owns the Times of London, and there was, a, uh, uh, I, I believe, a justified scare uh, in the UK about this sudden uh, um, mania for vaccinating children. Uh, especially with multiple vaccinations at one time, mm. and people were getting concerned about it, and a esteemed um, what do you, what do you call the guy that studies uh, di- di- digestion uh, oh
1: my god a gastroenterologist or something
2: yes, exactly exactly he was having patients he was having people show up at his door saying our, we have our children we have our children are ha- their guts are wrecked like we 're not talking <laughs> about minor problems, we're talking about catastrophic." Mind-bending, never-before-seen, horrifying problems. So, being a serious scientist, he looked into it, and what he noticed was uh, a lot of them also. A lot of these kids also had autistic um, symptoms, and he started to theorize, hypothesize that maybe, since we'd never seen this kind of disorder before in children before, it might have had it might have had something to do with these vaccinations. So he put out a paper which was clearly, the language was clear, it's a hypothesis basically saying, this is something we should look into. Well, the Times of London, in the form of a guy named Brian Deere, who they subsidized to a crazy degree, and he spent basically his life for several years creating every possible slander uh, against this uh, doctor uh, and, and, and succeeded in having him drummed out of medicine. And I mean, it's just a horrible thing. So when you ask how, how is it that the news media is, is in lockstep? Well, the owner of Fox News is um, deeply involved with Smith, which is the number one vaccine manufacturer in the UK. This is, by the way, this, this, whole, this whole scandemic is a vaccine play. Uh, and it's very clear. I found I stumbled on, I stumbled on some video uh, just the other day. I was kind of surprised to see it. And you've got Pierre. Trudeau. Is it Pierre Trudeau? Is that what you call that guy? P- Trudeau? It's, I know. It's, I know the father was Pierre. I don't know what the. Young guy I know was it's called. not Gary
1: Trudeau. It's a. It's a
2: more. Evil yeah, form know, of Trudeau. Right? But we'll call him a Trudeau, and he's Prime Minister of Canada, and he's a, he's a zero mentally, and he's reading from. He was literally reading from a script, and there was oh. snowfall. Okay, so that, that now, now snow falls a little later in Canada than it does down here, but still, it had to, it had to be April, probably not May, but could have been March. And now here's the key he was saying, in let's call it April, there will be no return to normalcy until we have a vaccine.
1: Yep, I heard okay? that a
2: lot. Now, now but, but think about the logic of that, right? The disease was new. So, you know, you how could anybody have said, had projected that it wouldn't have passed by itself? A, B, like no, most epidemics do. Assuming that the thing's even real, which is a whole other scientific issue, which we'll leave for another time. But mm-hmm. let's assume the thing's real. These things spike and disappear. That's their history. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. So how would, you, how could you have known early in the game that that couldn't, that wasn't going to happen? How could you know? that there was never going to be an effective therapy for this particular disorder. How could you have known that in March or April? How could you have known that the only solution was a vaccine? Now, here it gets even more bizarre. Fauci has been working on an AIDS vaccine since, are you ready? 1984. He promised in 84 that that he'd have it in a couple of years. Well, it's 36 years later, we do not have an AIDS vaccine. However, if you tally up all the research money that has been spent on the HIV equals AIDS hypothesis, this I mean, this is mind-boggling, but I had somebody that really knows how to do this kind of research do it. It comes to over $500 billion. So in the last 36 years, over half a trillion dollars has been spent researching the HIV AIDS high- uh hiv equals aids hypothesis and we don't have a vaccine so that's that's piece one about this vaccine insanity number two contrary to the news media's bullshit um uh coronaviruses are not new (laughs) coronaviruses are common and have been in humanity probably as long as humanity has existed um they carry the common cold all right they have been trying to develop vaccines against coronaviruses, that class of virus, for decades. They have never succeeded. All they have succeeded in doing is severely injuring a lot of test subjects. So here's another piece of logic which somebody's got to explain to me if Fauci couldn't develop an AIDS vaccine in 36 years and half a trillion dollars and nobody has ever been able to develop a corona uh, vaccine uh, in several decades how in the world are we going to develop assuming all this stuff is even true how in the world are we going to develop a vaccine against this coronavirus in six months 12 months you know 24 months it the whole thing defies logic well, here um, here's but, the question
1: I'm uh, I'm afraid to to ask you: Is what's the the end game? So you know, we can assume that there's there's probably not going to be a vaccine that works. You know, they may cover it up uh, tremendously, but if it's if it's that bad and it kills enough people, they probably can't cover it up, or maybe they can. But you know, what's the the end end game of all this? If uh, no vaccine is found, which they probably won't be.
2: Well, let me cover up the. Let me co- cover. The cover-up of vaccine injuries, and then let's talk about the end game. Um, something that people should be very concerned about is the aggressive covering up of the fact of vaccine injury. And again, this was something okay. that hit a critical peak last year, and the people that raised their voices were shouted down. Um, there are indeed vaccine industries uh, injuries. Um, there is a vaccine court in the United States. Uh, it's important for everybody to know if a uh, vaccine maker is insanely negligent and puts Drano in the, in the vials instead of the vaccine and you get it in your veins, they have absolutely zero legal, legal liability. Okay. All liability for vaccine injury has been passed over to the taxpayers, to the federal government. Okay. Uh, that was, that was done by, by Reagan. Um, so that's something I don't, I think a lot of people aren't familiar with, but Yeah, it sounds crazy. Look it up. Okay, so if you do have a vac, if you think you have a vaccine industry and you want to make a claim, you have to go to a special vaccine court. Uh, So you're going to have you're going to have your attorney uh, make the case. Guess who makes the case for the other side? The Department of Justice of the United States. Okay. yeah. I mean, how about how about, you know, getting into the boxing ring with one hand tied behind your back and and Mark Tyson in his prime? How, how do you think that, how, do you, how, how would that work? Now, in spite of that, over $4 billion uh, in, in settlements have been paid for people that have been injured by vaccines. So whenever you hear somebody say, vaccine injury is not an issue, well, it's, it's an issue at least to the tune of $4 billion in a heavily rigged system. So, and, and anybody that talks about vaccine industry, in, 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 it's funny, in, injury industry is shouted down, if they happen to be a doctor, they could have their license challenged. If they happen to be a, a non-tenured professor, their career is over. If they're a tenured professor, you know maybe they're going to be marginalized. If they're a journalist, they ain't writing anymore. It's been savage. It's been absolutely. Maybe they'll have their, you know, on a smaller level, maybe they'll have their YouTube channel turned off, their Twitter channel turned off, their Facebook group uh, d- delisted. OK, so the cover up of vaccine industries. Uh, <laughs> funny, I keep making that Freudian slip. The cover up of vaccine injuries you can bank on it, okay? It's not a possibility. It already is, is in play, right? Yeah. All right, so now let's, go, now let's go, what is the end game? Well, they're very clear about what, what their end game is. One thing that you can see is once they got immunity for product liability, um, they immediately started inventing the need for new vaccines. I'm 60, so I might have gotten maybe three or four vaccines in my life. I, you know, I got the polio, I, I, maybe tetanus. I don't know. It wasn't many. Okay, right. I don't have my numbers handy right in front of me right now. But my understanding now is the average kid by the time he's 18 has had about 70 vaccinations. Oh, and boy. A huge... how are oh, you? Oh, Please, everybody should look it up. Don't take my word for it. How many different
1: uh, supposed conditions is the seventy of these boosters? Oh, I mean, you you
2: know, rubella, measles, um, uh, uh, hepatitis B, um, you name it. You you name it, and 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 some of them are multiple. it's, you know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, everybody, everybody should really look in, look into that. And, and, and you can just probably go CDC, just go CDC recommended vaccine schedule. They're not that's hiding right. it. Right. But what, but what they have done is multiply these dramatically. So that's part of their agenda uh, is just to keep adding new vaccines on there. I, I believe there was uh, that they, they, <laughs> in quotes, detected that they were starting to face um, public uh, Pushback uh, in, in recent years, which is why last year they they ran the measles scam and went on an all-out attack on parents. The, the other thing they did was they went to state legislatures and said, "Look, you got to make vaccines mandatory for public education." And mm. some some states went along with that. So I I, I believe that they were. Um, that, that was one of the reasons they did what they did last year. I think it's part of the motivation of why they're doing what they're doing this year. I mean, it's like a poker game. They, they, they're they all in. They went all, they're going all in because what they want is the ability to declare the need for any vaccination, any time against any illness for everybody. See, right now it's been limited to kids. And um, shame on us. Shame on all of us. For allowing fa- young families and children to be the victims of this for so long, and, and all of us not standing up, but we're going to get our comeuppance because this is going to put everybody on the vaccine schedule. Is my, that's what I think they're working towards. You want to work? You want to get on an airplane? You want to receive government benefits? Uh, where's your vaccine card? And get, you know, by the way, Gates. Bill Gates has been crystal clear about this. He's, he's not holding any cards back. Uh, what he envisions is a digital ID uh, that has your vaccine record on it, uh, which you will present uh, at borders and on planes and any any place where there's a reader, uh, which could someday include supermarkets and barber shops and you know oh, so, basically, yeah. yeah right. So that so so yeah, you have to understand the vaccine business is fantastic, government mandated. Which means I have no marketing costs. Universal. You know, most markets are niche, even big markets. You know, I can't sell hair curlers to bald men. You know, but I can make, I can dictate that every child in America get a vaccine. That's fantastic. If I can dictate that every breathing human being in America gets a vaccine, the money becomes um, uh, mind-boggling. Now, let's look at Gates's, you know, record as a human being. Um, you know he ran a a cutthroat monopolistic uh... business uh... basically he colonized the uh, the pc and uh... destroyed a lot of innovation uh... either ruined uh, a lot of other companies or just bought them out and and made them disappear so the idea that he's some kind of a humanitarian that wants to advance the the, the good of mankind is is ludicrous you know um, he's willing to put you know five ten twenty thirty billion dollars into this venture because he knows if he's on the if he ca- has the winning hand we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars uh, maybe maybe trillions of dollars. There's another part piece to this business. It's not only the money that they'll make from the vaccines. It's money they'll make from managing those digital uh, ID and vaccine records. Okay. I don't know how many people are aware that food stamps these days are no longer food stamps. They're actually a, an electronic card, and they are actually managed by companies. I haven't done, I haven't looked at this in a long time, so I don't know who's doing it these days. But I believe J.P. Morgan had had one of the the contracts to manage, you know, one of these, you know, benefit systems. Okay, you know, they don't funny, do it for free. It's really funny, you know, you know, I
1: remember McDonald's years ago had like a game where you take these little stamps. And you lick them and put them on a card, and you get like free mcdonald's stuff. I thought, and I, I you know, I'm ignorant, but I thought food stamps literally were like stamps uh. of pictures of food that you put on stuff to get it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense it, for a kid to think that way. Now the yeah. old food stamps were like those food stamps were literally printed, and they they were kind they looked like kind of a form of currency, you know. But now they're now it's electronic, and it's administered, and it's administered by bank, you know, by by contractors, and it's a very lucrative thing to administer. How lucrative yeah. do you think it will be to administer a card uh, that every single human being in the world? Because that's he's he's being very clear about what he wants to do. I'm not spinning any, I'm not putting words in his mouth. I'm not coming up with conspiracy theories. I'm merely quoting what he has stated explicitly. Everybody will have a digital ID that verifies their vaccine schedule to make sure they're up to date on all the vaccines that these guys cook up. Now, there's one last piece to this puzzle, um, which is the banking world. (laughs) Okay, Um, We have central banks and we have We'll call them private banks, commercial banks. Okay? It is a misunderstanding that central banks control the world. Okay? They really don't. Um, they really only control about three to four percent of banking activity. They have tremendous influence, and they can influence things by changing interest rates and, and dictating. What commercial banks can and cannot do. So they, they, they have that kind of power. But the vast right. majority of, of money that's actually flowing around the world is money that has been generated by commercial lending. Okay? Um, so that's, a, that's just, just keep that picture in your mind for a second. In a healthy economy, and we'll use Germany current Germany as a healthy economy um, You have three tiers of banks you have super big banks you have medium-sized banks and you have small banks the super big banks lend to the super big companies the medium-sized banks lend to the medium-sized companies and the small banks lend to small companies and That gives you a nice healthy balanced democratic economy All right. interestingly enough Germany, which is a relative, you know, it's not a small country, but it's not, it's not an India, it's not a German, it's not a uh, Russia, it's not a U.S., it's not a Brazil, it's not China, uh, is one of the top exporters in the world. And by saying top, I think it might be number three. Like it's way, way up there. And the the way, and, and this may seem like I'm going off on a tangent, but uh, you'll see where this leads in a second. The reason okay. they're able to compete so well is until recently, their banking system had a lot of diversity into it. I know to, these days, everybody's into diversity. Well, we need banking diversity too, right? So there was another, they're systematically destroying it, but there was um, a, a diverse banking system, which means indes- businesses at all kinds of sizes and levels were able to get serviced by by banks, get, right? So what you have in Germany is a reason its exports are so strong and why the country is so prosperous is it is able to develop excellence in a lot of different industrial areas not all many of them obscure many of them unglamorous but they make money so it's not uncommon for a small German business to be the leading you know, uh, German business is to be the number one, number two, number three world exporters in a particular industrial niche. One of the reasons they can do that is because of the education level of Germany. They have this amazing um, uh, university system, but they also have an amazing system for training so-called blue collar workers. So you have a very high level of, of guys that actually do the real work. And then you have a banking system that helps businesses at all different levels. Okay. They had a similar thing in Japan, And what happened in Japan was a lot of um, guys from Japan went over the United States because, you know, Japan was defeated by the United States, occupied by the United States. And a lot of Japanese guys went to the United States to learn economics. They went back to Japan and became uh, central bankers. Um, in it, this, is, this may seem going way off, but this is a really important piece. So in Japan, you had a dynamic tension between the Bank of Japan and the Ministry of Finance. Okay, so just hang on to those two images, Bank of Japan, Central Bank, Ministry of Finance, the department of the country that was interested in the health of the country economically. Over time, the Bank of Japan, the, the Central Bank of Japan, slowly started whittling away the power. Of the the, the, the uh, Ministry of Finance to the here's the key to the detriment of the diversity of the banking system. The banking system became more centralized, less now. Here's here's where we're getting to to the where this is all leading less friendly to small business. Oh. Okay, all right, and basically what had been an incredibly uh, productive economy um, was had the life strangled from it. And basically, it's, it's now a zombie economy. The big companies are doing fine. Uh, yeah. the, small, yep, the small companies are, are you know, staggering. Uh, unemployment's high. Stagnation is, is the norm. The people at the top are doing great. Everybody else is doing badly. And the diversity of banking Options is greatly reduced. There's a guy named Richard Werner, W E R N E R. He wrote a book called The Princes of the Yen. Uh, he is the expert on this. The ECB, the European Central Bank, is adopting the, the Japanese model in spades. They are doing, for instance, they adopted all these, these regulations to control big banks. And big banks need to be controlled because they're run by criminals. And if you don't control those guys, I mean, they'll be laundering Columbia drug money. I mean, who knows? You know, they, they'll do anything. They, they have zero ethics. So they need regulation. But what they did in the ECB was they took the regulation that was designed for the uber super big banks, and they made all the little banks um, adhere to it. They can't afford it, right? So they're they're gradually squeezing the little banks to death. This keeping of the interest rates super low, really hurt small banks, because banks, you know, they, they make money on the spread of what, you know, what they borrow the money from and what they lend it for. And if money is available super cheap, they can't make any spread. So gradually, 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 the small banks, medium sized banks are being eliminated from Europe. And, and, okay, so now where does all this, so end game. The end game for the central banker scammers is to have everything collapsed into one national central bank. OK, which oh. means there won't be any Chase Manhattans or JP Morgan's or Wells Fargo's or your local bank. There'll be one bank. OK, and they'll control the whole game, which now, now here's we get. Now we get back to the end game. You've got your uh, your card, your 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 vaccine ID. It's also your bank account card. You don't have 10,000 choices of credit cards and banks you could be a member you know a member of and brokerage companies and all this time. it's one bank okay that's where your money is you make money you want to save it it has to go to one bank it's a bank controlled by government officials okay And, and china's been working on this too right um what happens when you're, you're doing something that's politically unpopular to the people that run the country? What happens to your bank account? What happens to your ability to spend money, give money, earn money? Hey, we don't like. It. You know, you're you're selling money. You're, you're you're selling advice to entrepreneurs. We think that's a sketchy business. You don't have a degree. You don't have an MBA. You're not affiliated with an Ivy League business school. Uh, we think anybody teaching business uh, who doesn't have those kind of credentials and hasn't been certified is some kind of a scam artist. You may no longer collect money uh, for the for the con- conveyance of uh, business advice to small business people. All right. So we're 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 talking about what we're looking at when you talk about an end game is absolute centralization of health and financial matters. Uh, and and which controls every aspect of your life. Can you can you get on a plane? Can you get on a train? Can you get on a bus? Can you buy property? Can you rent property? Can you sell property? Can you maintain a bank account? And and what we have to see, and I, I just see this every day and, and I, I'd love for someone to show me where I wrong where I'm wrong. Part of this scandemic seems to be a deliberate Uh, Attack with the intent of destruction of the small business class in the United States. Big businesses can weather this nonsense within reason. You know, the average guy who, you know, I mean, luckily I've already made my money. The businesses I have now, you know, they happen to be... you know mostly digital and entertainment and educationally oriented so i'm doing fine but let's say a guy has a, a laundromat well not a laundromat would not be an example but a restaurant or a gymnasium or a bar or a lady yep. cuts hair or all these little businesses that employ millions and millions of people and are the backbone of really america because a lot of people work for them these people are being massacred they're being murdered in broad daylight and they are going to become dependence. And I think when they have created enough economic pain, all this is projection. The things that I said earlier about about the scandemic being a scam, I'll bet my life that it's a scam. I can't tell about this other stuff. I'm just looking at the tea leaves and I, this is what I see.
1: I thought to myself over this past six months, I mean, here's just one part of it. How can the entire world keep saying, oh, we don't know. We don't know about this. We don't know about that. I actually wrote a letter To my state's governor and i said you can be you know i i'm I'm probably foolish for it they probably laughed but i said you know we've had problems before and the whole world got together when there was a real significant problem why don't you do a bit of testing pay volunteers to sit with masks without masks close to each other far away at least figure out that piece of it so that you can say we know we've tested it and we can do x and navigate from here but you know of course no response and and I've asked many people, why haven't they, if, if all these agencies are saying, we don't know, we don't know, they can't figure it out, seriously? Like, there can't be a consortium of countries or states or whatever that, you know, allocate a few billion dollars to figure out exactly what's going on with, with SARS-CoV-2, you know, but they, don't, they, they must not want to. I see no other, it just doesn't make sense. You know, like, let's say uh, Estonia, why can't Estonia say, you know what, we're going to figure this out and we're going to do this experimentation and you know we're going to be the hero of the world for doing this. You know, or someone that let's say doesn't like the US, some country. Why can't they do that? But no one has stepped up and that's what's odd to me. No country in the world no no one has stepped up and said, "Hey, we're going to get the real information out there."
2: Well, you know if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I don't yeah, I think it's clear they don't want to know and but what they are willing to accept is literally any lunatic who can find any kind of a print outlet, uh, who who can put together something, anything even remotely, you know, literate, uh, who who predicts doom. Um, that person will get published. Uh, it may be in a bullshit journal, there may be no peer review and it will be picked up by the n- news media and it will be spread across the planet. That will happen every, that happens every day of the week. I, am tracing it. You know, there was a thing called COVID toe, I don't know if you remember that. Um, yep. <laughs> and, the, and then there was, a, then there was a guy who, who literally wrote an article saying that, you know, all those b- black lives matter protests with, you know, thousands of people in the streets, that was actually good for public health. Okay. I'm I'm willing to go there, but then he wrote an article saying. Uh, you know that Sturgis thing with all those guys in the streets? That was terrible. That's going to cost the U.S. healthcare system twelve billion dollars. The, sa- the same guy wrote the same paper, and and uh, the news and, and the news media published both of them. They thought they thought both of them were marvelous. And I will say this: um, you know, when people say Black Lives Matter, I, I say, look, Black Lives Matter has mattered to me my whole life. Um, I was on I was on a track team <laughs> when I was a grammar school student, and I played basketball. Uh, my teammates and the guys I played against, and my coaches, you know, we were we were we were a multiracial group. Uh, I'm, I have one of the largest jazz uh, websites in the world. You know, I guess you could be a racist and 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 be in that profession that for as many decades as I've been, it'd be pretty damn hard to, to pull it off. Um, so black lives have always mattered to me. So when I when I say what I'm about to say about the current Black Lives Matter movement. I call it Black Lives Matter 2.0. I think the original movement w- was probably totally legit. Um, I think what's going on now, I, I really think, is a, is a uh, engineered creation to uh, create distraction among the population. And, and I'll tell you why. The- the- the bl- uh, Af- Black Americans have had amazing leaders. Um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, Marcus Garvey. I mean, all, all kinds of um, Medgar Evers, I mean, all kinds of absolutely men of the absolute highest order, you know, men for the ages. Where do you see them? Where do you see their murals these days? Where, where's people walking around with signs about them? Okay. I don't see it, that. It what I see exist. is it, it, it doesn't exist. Instead, and, you know, this poor man that apparently, you know, he died, you know, every death is a tragedy, et cetera, et cetera. Reality, I don't know how many people did any look into this fellow's background. I mean, this is a guy that was engaged in all kinds of violent crime, including home invasion, where he held a pregnant woman at gunpoint. This was not a nice guy, right? No one should die in the street, and, and you know, police officers should conduct themselves professionally. But this does not make the guy a, a spiritual hero. And And yet, somehow they've convinced people to paint, you know, 20 story murals and of this guy all over America. And I just look at that and I go, are they, are they joking? You know, we can't find a mural of Martin Luther King, but I can find a hundred murals of a guy who basically was a multiple violent offender felon who who did die, let's say, under, under, uh, bad circumstances, but still, you know, so anyway, as soon as I, I think what happened was as soon as but well, is a pretty controversial call. Huh? As soon as soon as people were start, as soon as soon as but I don't care, you know, as soon as people were starting to get really agitated about the bullshit of this scandemic, suddenly we had a national movement of Black Lives Matter 2.0. Okay, right, and yep, I, I want
1: to yep. distinguish. You know,
2: I want to distinguish between the original impact. I've marched in a Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, Things, by the way, I'm not I'm not some guy you know sitting back scoffing, but but when you see how how certain elements now are conducting themselves, setting fire to black businesses, small businesses, yeah, how, that how does right. yeah, and I I, you know what's really weird too, most recently in the state of New York, Black Lives Matter 2.0 groups have singled out and attacked restaurants. I've seen three episodes of that on video people you know here are these restaurants which employ a lot of minority people you know if there's a lot of people in this world for whom restaurant work is their first their best and maybe their last chance at employment you know it's sure, so a yeah. very important em- Employment sector, right? So when you attack a small restaurant, you're not just attacking the owner or, or the affluent people that are going to eat. Uh, if you, ha- you know, if you feel the need to attack the affluent, you're attacking the dishwasher. You're attacking the utility man. You're attacking the cooks. You're attacking the guy that that uh, delivers the food, uh, the produce every day. Um, you going to feed those? Are you going to feed those people after you've destroyed their jobs? I don't see those. I don't see that conversation being raised, right? So I've seen three pieces of video now where uh, outdoor diners are literally not, not. I mean, they don't attack them with baseball bats, but they literally wade into the outdoor dining area and start screaming at the diners, forcing them to get up from their tables and flee. Okay, Jeez, really? You, you know that. Yeah, yeah, you can find it. Look up look up Rochester um, uh, Black Lives Matter demonstrations, and you'll you'll find you'll find a couple of episodes of that. Now, isn't it interesting? The industry that Governor Cuomo has been has completely savaged, which is the restaurant industry. The industry, which I want to point out, employs one out of 10 New Yorkers, you know, between the waitresses and the cooks and the dishwashers and the guys that deliver, uh, produce, that whole complex. That's one out of 10 jobs in New York. Okay. He has, and it's, just, and it's small business heavy. He, he has attacked those people viciously, right? Right. In our, in our, uh, county, I don't know how it is in other counties, but if you own a restaurant and somebody goes to your bar and sits at the bar and he's alone, orders a drink, but doesn't have a plate of approved food, can't be nachos, by the way, it's got to be approved food, Uh, you are subject to a $10,000 fine. And I was told that there's four restaurants in this county that have gotten the $10,000 fine for that. Okay. So in other words, the the government has attacked restaurants with a viciousness that boggles the mind. And isn't it a coincidence that Black Lives Matter 2.0 in Rochester right now, uh, has singled out outdoor dining as one of their targets. I mean, I just to me it it just stinks to the high heavens. And I'm a guy that has absolute respect for for civil rights and for and for the rights of African Americans. You know, and not just well, yesterday or this year or 10 years ago. My whole life.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So I'm not I'm not some you know just so just for anybody listening to this think oh you're a racist
1: you're this you're, no, no 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 no. Yeah, one thing yeah. I've learned you know during this you know ridiculousness is the power of labels. Um yeah you know for instance uh, you know when they talked about canceling elective surgeries i just had to be honest i thought oh plastic surgery you know i didn't realize that you can call cancer screening and transplants and all kinds of normal medical procedures and dentistry elective procedures you know i mean yeah so that was one one way in which i saw a label just applied horrifically and same thing with i mean with everything surrounding this 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 nightmare you know it's a uh, I just wanted to put that out there, like the power of labels. They can mean anything, you know. Like uh, uh, people that say anything about vaccines, they're called anti vaxxers and people that say right. anything about masks are anti-mask and an- COVID right. denier. You know, what right. do you, do you have a a, a lexicon of, of terms that you found that you know have to be dealt with and have to be thought about your response to them, or
2: you oh, know? There any- I mean, they're 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 hitting us with a fire hose of stuff like that, and it's literally a full time job to to identify and 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 uh, deconstruct them. Um, I pointed out one which was claiming that anybody against the lockdowns who who talks about the economic effect only cares about business and doesn't care about people. Well no we care about society as a whole, and we know that when you destroy business activity you're going to destroy a lot of people's lives. Um, what would be another? There's just there's just so many um there's almost so many examples it's hard to to, to pull it out, but the elective surgery is a good one. Oh, another brilliant one. And I and I I'll give these devils credit. I mean, they are they did their homework, they did their thinking, their research, their planning, their execution. Anybody that questions the, the COVID scenario is called a Trump supporter. I mean, that's just mind boggling because because Trump actually He's going along with pretty much everything. You know, there's a little variation on, you know, the Democrats say A, he says A squared, you know, but it's pretty much the same. He's all, he couldn't wait, you know, he can't wait for the vaccine. He's all about the vaccine. So it's ludicrous to call people like us Trump supporters because we're questioning all this nonsense. But, and yet they, they do it and they've succeeded in it. I mean, I, I get treated like, But I don't I won't wear a mask. I mean, if I, you know, if I go in the store to buy food, I've got to, you know, I've got to comply because I don't want to starve to death. But otherwise, I'm not wearing a mask uh, anywhere. And oh, the dirty looks I get in in my liberal Mm -hmm. little village is just incredible. So that that dichotomy or that that labeling of you're an automatic, you're a Trump supporter. I think that was just brilliant. That was that was brilliant and and extremely effective and planned in advance, uh, not an accident, didn't just. By the way, I'll tell you one one that I would love to nail down. I've I've tried to hire a researcher, but so far no one's actually done taking the job. If anybody wants a job, I mean, I'm not going to make you rich, but I will pay you. Who was the first person to use the phrase, the new normal? I would love to have the answer to that question. I'd like to know that the first time it appeared, and I'd like to know out of whose lips it came. I talked to one journalist, and she says, this is fascinating, that as early as mid-March— her editor told her to stop using the new normal because it was already old. So some PR firm, because one person pointed out to me, we, we haven't talked about the HIV-AIDS fraud. That's a whole other thing. I made a film about it, by the way, which if you'll send people the link, I think if they watch this, it's going to make a lot of things clear yeah, to them. No Somebody told me who's, who's a veteran, veteran researcher of the HIV equals AIDS fraud, she says there's not a PR company in the United States of any size that hasn't gotten a boatload of AIDS money. In other words, an AIDS foundation, mm-hmm. AIDS this, AIDS that. It, it, is a, it has been a cash cow for many people. And by the way, COVID, make no mistake about it. A lot of people are being destroyed financially. A lot of people are getting rich off COVID. PR agencies, you know, pharma, obviously, uh, a lot of people are being paid. So, so I'm going to say, say this. Somewhere... Going back to now, we're going back to Edward Bernays and the manufacture of Consent and, and the whole industrialized propaganda system. Somewhere in some boardroom, a bunch of guys were sitting around trying to figure out how to sell this thing, and somebody came up with the name The New Normal. You know, it's just like, you know, the, the new Coke or the, you know, whatever, you know, whatever little advertising slogan. And that thing was pushed out. To the right person at the right time, and uh, disseminated, and suddenly it was on everybody's lips. Uh, that's that, that is that is how it works. Uh, so I would love to, you know, I would like, you know, I don't have infinite money, and I I, I I wish I could find. I'm not good at finding people to do work. I, I I seem to be very good at finding people that take money and don't do the work they're supposed to do, but. Uh, what I would love to do is find serious people who are willing to do the grind work. It's not Einstein work, it's grind work of helping me to do, do some forensic propaganda research on this. By forensic I mean reconstructing how this whole thing was laid down from day one. And when it would be done very and it's going to take a lot of people, not a lot of people, but several people, just grinding it out. And that just go to the internet and read the news every day. Start January 1st or start the first time that this flu was ever, this this virus was ever mentioned and just track, okay, what was the what was the news, what were people saying December 10th? What were people saying December 11th? Who was saying it? What were people saying, you know, and just reconstruct that. That would be a very, very important body of information. And if it were laid out for people, I, I think they would see uh, how this thing was constructed. Um, if I could just talk a little bit about the film that I made, it's, it's, called, sure, H, uh, yeah. Fauci's, it's called Fauci's First Fraud, uh, HIV equals AIDS. And there, is a, there are tremendous parallels between what we're going through now and the, the AIDS panic of the 1980s. Now, I'm old enough to have lived through the AIDS panic of the 1980s, and I can tell you it was a panic. Uh, Oprah Winfrey told her, her, her listenership, of, I believe it, in those days it was up to 40 million viewers, uh, she told them in 1987 that by 1990, one third of Americans were going to be dead of AIDS. Okay? That's how insane things got. Everybody was sure they were going to get AIDS. I mean, as recently as 2000, when I, when I got some life insurance, um, I, part of the life insurance deal was I had to get an AIDS test. I mean, I'm a heterosexual with this, the same wife for 30 years, you know? Um, but, but, but we both had to get AIDS tests. I think that's been phased out. Really? But anyway, the hysteria... Yeah, I hope so. The, to get life insurance. That the hysteria uh, around that was massive. And what's so interesting is it's the same cast of characters. Fauci, Uh, NIH, CDC, the World Health Organization. It's the same cast of characters. So in this film, I may, and by the same thing, testing that's unreliable, Um, calling people infected when all they have is a positive antibody test, Um, putting people on drugs or ventilators when all they have is a positive antibody test.
1: Mm You know,
2: I should also... I should also give you another link. I did a very uh, in-depth interview with a contract nurse who worked both in a Florida hospital and then went to New York as a contract nurse to work in a city-run hospital. And she talks about the unbelievable disparity in treatment uh, between how people were treated in Florida, where they lost no patients at all, and New York City, where they lost every patient. and I'll, just, yeah, I'll yeah. give you I mean, I'll get not everybody has, may have a chance to listen to the interview. So I'll just cut to the chase. There are city run hospitals. Um, they are the dregs. <laughs> I mean, to put it to put it bluntly. Uh, I once visited a friend who had a daughter in a city run hospital years ago, and it was Dickens. I mean, at Dickens time, it was wow, scary, scary bad. Scary bad, and basically her testimony, and I, you know, she's not under oath, uh, but but you know I did question her, uh, and she gave answers. Is that basically anybody that came in with anything, asthma attack, uh, anxiety attack, um, you know heavy cough, was considered presumptive um, COVID, and a lot of those people were put on vent and. Mm-hmm. Your listeners, some of them may know, but probably most of them don't know, that this thing about vents is sort of like, oh, well, we put somebody on a vent and, you know, it's just a medical procedure. Uh, no. <laughs> to put somebody on a vent, you have to put them in an uh, induced coma. Um, there is uh, between four and 20 different IVs they have to receive steadily nonstop. You have to put them on uh, multiple paralytics. So, in other words, you have to freeze Holy their body. Oh, Really? Oh yeah, nobody now. Interesting. How many times has the word "vents" been bandied about by the news media? A uh, hundred million times, right? How many times have people been told what it means to, to in- intubate and vent a human being? It means paralytics. It means sedatives, multiple oh sedatives, including including fentanyl. Okay, um, it includes analgesics because it's painful to have a tube stuck down your. Uh, into your lungs okay now some logistical questions how do you drink water when you're in a coma you don't you're all your how, water how is you coming signal,
1: from how do you signal to anyone that you're in distress you,
2: you don't you're you're completely dependent on the on the tech on the tech person who's supposed to be monitoring you you're a hundred percent dependent Jesus, you're gone that's horrible okay yeah, it, is, it is it is horrible. So you got all these tubes in you, you got all these um, uh, drips in you, all these drugs in you, and then they wonder, well, gee, the guy was on event for for three months and, and and you know he survived, but his health is ruined. It must have been COVID. Are you kidding me, man? You're immobile for three months. You're you're dehydrated. You, you're taking drugs that would kill a horse under the best of circumstances. And I'm going to get a little gross here. How do you think you um, evacuate your, your bowels when you're in a coma. Okay. Um, This is a messy, dirty, uh, uh, difficult, unhealthy situation at best. And I'll leave it for the nurse to tell you some of the things that she encountered in, in these city run wards. But basically they were taking people off the street that had non COVID problems and venting them and killing them. So now you may say, well, Ken, that's Damn, that's so extreme. You're a crazy man. You're making stuff up. You tell me, you go look at the death rate in New York City, not, you know, s- strip it down, not, don't do New York State because New York State as a whole didn't have a very high death rate. The death rate of New York State is, is distorted by the death rate of New York City. Take the death rate for New York City alone. And compare it to any other place on the planet Earth for COVID. It's not arithmetically larger, it's exponentially larger. You tell me how a virus magically became more malignant within the five boroughs of New York, or four, because they didn't have the problem in Staten Island, uh, and not so much in Manhattan. It was mainly Bronx, uh, Brooklyn, and and, uh, Queens. You tell me how a, a virus Killed, you know, X number of people in Texas or, or in uh, Denmark, but killed five X in New York City. Tell me how that works uh, epidemiologically. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. So I. Have- yeah. So I have an interview with that with that nurse. And, you know, she's an amazing person. She 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 joined the army when she was 17. Uh, she had the misfortune of being in boot camp when 9-11 happened, which meant she was in the first wave going into Iraq. So this is no lightweight girl. This is somebody that 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 knows how the world works. She's she was she's a veteran nurse because already she's, you know, been a nurse for nearly 20 years. Um, she had the experience. She's a Florida nurse and she worked covid cases in Florida. And she said, "We didn't bury anybody, and in New York, we didn't save anybody." Hmm. So that, so I'm, so going to send, so send folks that link too, okay. I think that's, that's great. That's that's great. Th- so what? this is um, a dark chapter in American history, and I don't, I don't know what to say about it other than that it's really dark. <laughs> well, one, one
1: last thing I wanted to tell you this is this is a short, but it was a terrible realization I had. Um, when I look around at people that just are, you know, they're consuming the media and they're believing everything that they tell them. You know, it's not nice to say, but it seems like a lot of people are cheap. And what I realized is I, those people that believe that stuff and with no, with no thought, like I start to resent them. I'm just being a hundred percent honest know. here. And I, you know, yeah. my realization was, wow, if someone's easy to control, you, you start to resent them. You start to hate them and look down on them and, and like, you know, scoff at them. And I realized, oh my God, I think a lot of the leaders of you know our country, our states, the world, whatever. They hate the people they govern. They they look down on them and they spit on them mentally, and they just because they see how easily they are controlled. So I don't know what your thoughts are, but that seemed to be a realization that I had, and it was horrible.
2: Well, one thing that's that's absolutely true is in every um, configuration like that, the, the governed and the governing, uh, the police and the population, the doctors and the patients. Um, under you know under normal circumstances there is a dividing line and uh you know even in a restaurant you know there's the people sitting at tables and then there's what's going on in the kitchen and it's two very different perceptions of reality now among good people <laughs> you do your best not to let those barriers those walls of division get hard and you know what i mean just like you're a doctor; you care about your patients. Uh, you're a, 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 a waitress; you care about the people you're serving. Uh, you're a governor or a, a government official; you care about the. Okay, but there is definitely a, a structural possibility of an us versus them mentality forming, uh, and and you can see it happen a lot. And it's I guess it's just a natural uh, mental phenomenon. So, to be a developed human being, you got to be a aware that that tendency exists. And, and B, work daily, hourly, minute by minute, uh, not to let it just solidify. I too have, have a, uh, an issue with, with what you're describing, uh, especially when people are treating me badly. <laughs> That's when I really get resentful. Because I'm like, look, you know, I'm thinking to myself, look, you are participating in the injuring of if you count the whole world billions of human beings by wearing that stupid mask and saluting this stupid flag you know don't don't you you know tell me you know that i'm a bad guy for not wearing one you know but i'll tell you about uh this is this is this is a really interesting thing when i first moved to the hudson valley which is where i live uh, I was really happy to be in this bucolic, lovely area. And then, of course, within six months of moving here, um, the second largest cement company in the world declared their intention to build the second largest coal-fired cement plant in the world, in the United States, in North America, um, <laughs> on, the banks, on the banks of the Hudson River, just 20 miles north of where I live. <laughs> now, cement plants, yeah, in, in terms of pollution, it's oil refineries, chemical plants, and then cement plants. They are foul. And generally, cement plants are... Uh, kept away from human beings, and if a, if a company cares at all or a country cares at all about their population, they scrub the emissions from cement plants. cement plants are basically huge super kilns, and the cheapest way to and this may seem like I'm going on a wild tangent, but I'll bring it back. I promise. The cheapest way to run a kiln is with coal. So, and of course, coal is dirty as hell. It just is. Sorry, coal miners. I don't mean to, you know, hurt your living, but unscrubbed. And, and we could scrub coal and solve maybe 80% of the coal problems, but that's a whole other issue. We could we could scrub it at the emissions point, but we don't do it because it costs money. But anyway, coal is dirty, and you know, it produces mercury, um, particulates, arsenic, lead. I mean, it's just it's just a dirty, dirty thing. Now there there happened to be. A, A natural gas line very close to this proposed factory, and the company said we ain't going to use it. Uh, Not only that, we want the right to burn uh, medical waste and automobile tires as fuel for our kiln. You know, in other words, so their intention their intention was to be bad players. Like they didn't give, they didn't care. the The family and 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 like so many of these companies, they're they're actually controlled by families. this family had had a long history in the cement uh, manufacturing industry. Going back to Europe, where we were talking about slave labor, they had 11 different slave labor operations in Europe uh, on behalf of the Nazis uh, making cement. Uh, so these are just bad players. So anyway, we, I decided, hey, I, I, I don't want this cement plant. And I don't care if every news media person and every local politician is all for it. I'm going to find the people that are against it and we're going to fight it. We fought for seven years. Uh, The other side put up 50 million dollars. They started out with every advantage in the world, including terrorizing the people of this little city. Initially, people were afraid to put up signs in opposition to the plant. They, they were afraid their windows would get broken, that kind of thing. All right, so, so now I'm going to bring it back to what you said. The guy – I was the advisor, but the guy that did the work you – know, believe me, it's easy to be an advisor. You, know, you just sit back and you give advice, right? The guy that the, – the, the, the hero of the story who I, I, I have beyond respect for him, a guy named Sam Pratt. He meticulously built a network of citizens starting one at a time. You know, he got the doctors in, he got the teachers in, he got the small business people in, he got the farmers together one person at a time, and he built this huge coalition. And seven years later, we stopped this plan. Okay, so now here's the key. And it's hard for me to do because you got to have the right emotional state, and you got to discipline yourself. He never made the people who didn't get it the other. He always remained, I know, right? He always remained patient with them. He always remained in an open educational mode with them. And he was very meticulous about that every step of the way. So it's. I think we all have to, we you know we're all human. And so we got all these weird quirks and we got all these hormonal <laughs> things going on, you know, and, uh, when somebody opposes us, we want to hit them with a club, you know, it's just caveman stuff, you know? Um, but if we want to be refined human beings, right, we want to, we want to grow ourselves. Uh, we might follow Sam's, uh, uh, model, which is okay. These people disagree with us, but, but ultimately if we're going to win, we can't create, we can't add to the conflict. Okay. We have to, to, um, open and neutralize, you know, neutralize the conflict and be willing to just stick it out and educate those who are willing to be educated. I'm not saying it's easy. And I think he's a one in a million human being. Um, but it's, but, but it is a model that we can follow. So yeah, I I hear you though. I, I, I get aggravated. (laughs) Well, Ken, you
1: know, I I know you're going to send me links, but which I'll put with the show notes. Um, how else can people engage with you, you know, in a positive way, not a negative one, but how else can
2: he he, yeah, yeah, well, I have a website called kenmccarthy.com, K E N M C C A R T H Y.com. Um, I have a book that kind of encapsulates my w- way of thinking called The System Club Letters. Uh, you pointed out earlier in the call that I had this thing called The System Seminar. And cool. I, know this, I know this sounds like boasting, but email marketing, banner ad marketing, audio marketing, I'm running out of uh, video marketing. Uh, pay-per-click marketing, autoresponders. We didn't invent those things, but we were either the first or among the very, very first people to teach others how to use them. I wrote the first article ever on email marketing. Um, One of my students, Rick Boyce, is the pioneer of the the banner ad. He's the first human being to go out and sell banner ads, and he learned the whole concept of uh, click-through rate from me. And believe it or not, I don't know why, but a guy that I never met wrote an article for Time Magazine crediting me with be, being the first person to recognize how important the click-through rate is. So um, I know a lot about marketing and I know a little bit about the mechanics of internet marketing, but I'm primarily a direct marketer. I And, I'm, and I, I like to think I'm a thinker. I try to think at least. Let's put it this way. I'm an aspiring thinker. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Um, and I've put the way I think into this book called The System Club Letters. And it's, it's a series of letters that I sent to my system graduates. And we taught all this stuff starting in 94. Um, so almost anything anybody's doing on the internet, I'll be honest, I when I saw Facebook coming, I didn't like the smell of it from day one, and I just couldn't get into it. And uh, though, though one of my students did write the very first book on mobile marketing, uh, Kim Duszynski, mm-hmm. and she would start. Didn't know internet till she saw me. Was my student. She said, "I have this crazy idea, Ken, about writing a book on mobile marketing. What do you think?" I said, "Go for it. I'll support you every step of the way." So even though I, I don't have much to say about Facebook marketing, you know, we've been almost we've been there on, on virtually every single important thing in internet marketing that's ever. Taken place, and so my thinking about marketing, and my thinking about how to think, uh, is in in the uh, System Club Letters book. So if people went to McCarthy dot com, um, you could do worse than buy that book and read it. It, it, it you know it, it, it wouldn't hurt you. Um, and honestly, if somebody buys it from me and thinks it's crap, just send it back and I'll refund your money. <laughs> you know I'm not going to keep your money. You know, um, but it is. It is actually, if you like what I have to say, and you like the way I think, this book is is more of it. And it also contains a lot of practical advice on how to advance yourself in business and in persuasion. Um, So then I have a lot of articles, and I have a tremendous, almost an embarrassingly large number of articles on this scandemic. Um, It's been my focus since about March. Um, Sometimes I wonder if I've lost my mind, but I, I cannot not say anything. So I continue to mm. say things. So kenmccarthy.com.
1: As I was going to say, even if nothing else, uh, your blog has been a source of sanity throughout all this. So if nothing else, if people don't care about the marketing side, uh, your blog talking about all the COVID issues is incredibly informative. So yeah, both are resources.
2: Great. So, Thank you yeah, for, Ken, for telling
1: me. Yeah, Ken, thanks so much for coming. I really appreciate your time and your passion. And uh, I'm glad there's people out there like you. So thanks for being on this call.
2: Well, thanks for for giving me a chance to talk. You know, I, I love to talk about this stuff. And surprisingly, few people are interested in hearing it. So thank you for giving me a chance. If you like this
0: podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.